Hi, and welcome to the Restore Body Balance podcast. Here we combine psychology, biology, and neurology to enact life changes that stick. I'm Colleen Burns, licensed psychotherapist and founder of Restore Body Balance. And I'm Nico Yutanis, and I will be asking Colleen some questions on today's topic. Today's topic is on the scarcity of sleep. We know a good night's sleep not only leads to more energy, but can increase productivity and elevate your mood. However, in our fast-paced world, going to sleep can be challenging. So today, we will discuss the science of sleep and provide some powerful tools like meditation and cognitive behavioral therapy for sleep to help us fall asleep easier and gain restorative rest. So to start off, I wanted to point out that in popular culture, there is a trend in glorification around not sleeping enough. People almost brag about how little they slept and in turn how productive they were. Do you think sleep is still thought of as a luxury rather than an actual necessity? Well, Nico, I do see that in pop culture. But the alarming aspect is that a lot of people simply aren't sleeping. Almost 60% of adults now report insomnia on a regular basis, and sleep deprivation has now been studied more than ever. As the research goes, even 10 years ago, we need to still be getting about seven hours of sleep. And this is supported through evidence-based research here at our very own Harvard Medical School and University of Massachusetts Medical School. One of the leaders in this research is Dr. Greg Jacobs. He is the author of Say Goodnight to Insomnia. And Dr. Jacobs is also one of the principal developers in what he calls Cognitive Behavioral Therapy for Insomnia, or CBTI for short. And he's also the leading authority on the side effects and dangers of sleep medications and the relationship between sleep duration and health. I'm actually going through a certification right now to teach CBTI for insomnia. Given our current climate of COVID-19, I think we're all a little anxious and getting not seven hours of sleep. But on a positive note, I do think to answer your question, our mindsets are changing, uh, at least for a great deal of us, especially in healthcare. We simply function better on adequate sleep. And we also know sleep deprivation is linked to memory issues, problems with concentration, moodiness, and poor decision-making. It's in fact estimated that you will show an incremental decline in your overall cognitive performance for every hour of sleep that's lost. We now see mandatory truck stops where drivers actually have to check in and show their driving and sleep logs. Medical students now have new lifestyles. Again, maybe not today with our current world crisis, but let's just say the days of the graveyard shift are proving to be just that. What happens when we have to cut corners on sleep? and the implications on our sleep schedules and getting restorative sleep. Well, Nico, 20 years ago, you could barely get people to acknowledge or accept that sleep was an important part of their health and well-being. Whether it's pulling an all-nighter for an exam or paper, preparing for a presentation, a sleep-deprived mom or dad, and our first responders. These people have good reason to stay awake. There's also a surge in energy drinks and wakefulness medications, not to mention their side effects. But the good news is that we don't have to toss out our pillows just yet. It's really just about the quality of sleep. And we will get to that in a bit. 
but we really want to be talking about how we get what we're calling restorative sleep. We'll see studies in a bit that we can compare working an all-nighter as opposed to a rotating schedule. I see a lot of medical people and things are changing, but unfortunately not anytime soon. The idea of burning the midnight oil is a necessity for some, but it can take a toll on our health from our armed forces, pilots, etc. But we're taking measures for them to make sure they get adequate sleep. We're even developing sleep schedules, which is called sleeping like you're snacking, uh, which is experimental at best, but it in scientific terms is called polyphasic sleep, whereby you get core sleep anywhere from 90 minutes to six hours, and then you supplement with 20 minute naps. But in the end, the takeaway message is any fragmented sleep leads to health consequences. What about the average person who simply can't sleep or wakes up frequently? Is that detrimental to our health? Well, research is proving that under certain conditions, the brain produces a signal that essentially tells the body's major systems, mainly the heart, the lungs, the digestive system, the nervous system, and even muscles, that it's quitting time. So whether it's insomnia or our fleeting minds, if we are not sleeping, it's because we're missing that signal. I think we said on our last podcast, we need to get in that parasympathetic nervous system of rest and restore, not the sympathetic nervous system of fight or flight. I often reference the scene in Jurassic Park where the doctor is holding the two kids in a, a very tall tree and they can't sleep, but he rests them assured by saying, I'm going to stay up and be vigilant watching for tigers. So think about it, even going back to our more primal days, you know, we want to stay alive. And if we think there's danger or our brain sense any uncomfortableness or stress, it's going to keep us awake. And then we stay in that fight or flight mode, ready to defend uh, or flee from any potential threat that could be real or imagined. Biologically speaking, there is virtually no difference in the way that the body reacts, whether it's a work deadline, a startling noise, or a perceived threat. Our blood pressure spikes, breathing gets shallow, and the heart starts to race. So again, we're staying in this alert mode, and if we're there chronically, it truly leads to unhealthy, really cognitive decline and and all the aforementioned leading to these detrimental health effects. On the subject of alert mode, that made me think of my phone. What role do electronics, specifically our phones, have on our sleep? I know I use my phone right before I go to bed and immediately when I wake up. I'm Pavlov to it in a way. (laughs) That's a great term. We all are, I think. But as far as electronics go, any light including the glow from our phones, tablets, laptops, or TVs, can throw our body off. Our brain is tricked into thinking that it's daytime. And again, those natural sleep signals are not heard. The way I learned it back when I was studying at the Institute for Integrative Nutrition and at the Benson Henry Institute at Mass General Hospital, you know, we're used to going to bed historically when it was dark and then we would wake up when it's light. And then we naturally have a wind down, right? But this is also where our natural melatonin kicks in to let us know it's time to relax. 
But people are mitigating this by taking over-the-counter melatonin in terms of supplements. And by the way, we're taking it at the wrong time. A lot of people take it right before bed, but in fact, we really should be taking it at dusk. Not to mention, most of these aids are not FDA regulated. I attended a Harvard conference last year where a well-known sleep doctor at Children's Hospital actually took his group and studied a batch of melatonin that was by the same brand on the same shelf with the same, let's say, quote unquote number in terms of where it was produced. And the actual melatonin varied bottle to bottle and even pill to pill. That's really interesting. I can definitely relate to taking melatonin as an end-all be-all at the wrong time. I tried melatonin chocolates before a red-eye flight one time, and they definitely didn't work at the time I wanted them to. They actually ended up working after the flight. But on the subject of supplement regulations, the company iHerb started doing third-party what they call eye-tested reports where they can verify the supplements actually contain what they say they do. Isn't that great? Yeah, that's great, Nico. I didn't know that. Americans are actually sleeping about two hours less than they did even a century ago. And, you know, <laughs> you're onto something there. That ability, speaking of your phone, is that in this day and age, wonderful to stay connected, but we're also connected to work 24-7, right? And not to mention in today's COVID-19 climate, it's that thirst for news and the media. And we, again, have the distraction, right? Not only the light, but that excitement. And we're not in that parasympathetic nervous system of rest and relax, rest and restore. I don't know if you remember, uh, one of our episodes, I gave the phrase, I don't feel good, make it better statement. And that is, I am anxious. I will distract with Instagram. I'm feeling anxious about this pandemic. Maybe I can find a bit of good news, right? So we kind of go down that rabbit hole, whether it's confirming our fears or giving us hope. But guess what? We can create that satiety all by ourselves, simply coming back to our breath, back to center. And that is cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. And also what I like to call disputing the belief, which is the heart of cognitive behavioral therapy. The bottom line is we need more sleep. As a matter of fact, I just looked at one study recently that demonstrated that sleep deprivation caused a faster death in mice than starvation. Wow, that's really alarming. What role does sleep play from psychological, neurological, and biological perspectives? Well, that question, of course, is right up our alley at Restore Body Balance, right? So again, whether you're sick or you're healthy, sleep is now actually a prescription given by doctors, from your mental health to your physical health. Yes, it's about diet and exercise, but believe it or not, we're adding a third pillar, which is the basic self-care of sleep. A study from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention states insufficient sleep has major health consequences in adults, adolescents, and children. And a growing body of evidence is pointing to that lack of sufficient sleep, meaning less than seven hours on a regular basis, is actually contributing to heart disease, metabolic disorders like diabetes, and even mood disorders. However, getting adequate sleep in these newer studies 
Actually looking at cancer, it is less aggressive, we can ward off mood disorders, and even help with cognitive decline. Scientists are learning about the effects on the body when we have shortage of sleep. It compromises almost every major body system from the brain to the heart to the immune system, like we talked about last week. Lack of adequate sleep is one of the unhealthiest things we can do. And it's becoming the number one thing we can do to stay healthy. And again, that's actually trumping diet and exercise to the latest research coming out of the University of California, Berkeley. What about dreams? Do dreams impact your health? Well, they actually do. And from a mental health standpoint, when we sleep, we actually sleep in cycles. So we want to actually get into that deep dream sleep. The brain actually does a really cool thing from a mental health perspective, because we don't just revisit the events of the day, but we actually get them organized in a way that we process our emotions that are attached to them. So these memories are filed away and powerful emotions like grief and fear, anger, even joy would not be, you know, efficient for us to remember every single event of the day and every emotion of the day. So like I say to my patients, we actually kind of tuck them away, right? So when we sleep, we actually are sleeping to forget, believe it or not. And I often heard that that deep sleep is a place where we can lose our emotional baggage. I actually say to a lot of my patients, you know, your prefrontal cortex, which is where your forehead is, houses all of those immediate memories, right? Because it says, you know, that either felt good, I want more, or that didn't feel good, so I don't want to do it again, so we better remember that. But it's also like your desktop computer. If you keep reinforcing it, we can't have too many things, right? You only keep things on your desktop that you want to actually access on a regular basis. The rest we have to kind of file away and put in the hard drive. And that's really what we're doing when we're dreaming and sleeping. Wow, that's going to change the way that I interpret my own dreams. So now that we've talked about the effects of sleep and the necessity of sleep, what exactly happens during sleep? Well, uh, again, it's an awesome question because despite the body appearing to rest during sleep, a great deal is happening. Neurons are pulsing electrical signals that actually wash the brain. I won't get into the semantics of this, but it's almost like a rhythmic flow, so to speak. We actually are running a check on ourselves that we wanna make sure we have the right balance of hormones, enzymes, and proteins. And it actually attempts to correct this if it's off kilter. Also, our brain cells contract and open, and that leaves these little spaces in between so that fluids can actually wash out toxic, loose debris that can cause problems if it builds up. I often heard it said when I was at the Benson Henry Institute, it's almost like a washing machine or a dishwasher flushing the dirt away. So we can wake up clean, clear-headed, and fresh to take on the day's new tasks, including our emotions and memories. I know that I'm more emotionally labile when I don't get adequate sleep. And going back to my book and program, Prescription for Change, this is one of the things I ask you to do, which is to de-stress right before bed. But not only that, remember a positive emotion or say something that we're quote unquote grateful or abundant with 
in terms of our happiness, because as Peg Bain, the director of the SMART program, Stress Management and Resiliency Training at the Benson Henry Institute, she always reminded us to bathe the brain at night, bathe the brain in happiness. That's so important. Abundance is so beneficial to our lives. And if you want to read more on that, you can visit www.restorebodybalance.com book to read the book on change. So my next question involves sleeping pills. How do sleeping pills work? What role do they play? Well, we see an abundance of sleeping pills and the influx that have come onto the market because of their strategy is staggering. But because of this ability, we also are looking for that quick fix. But many of them have drawbacks. We've all heard the stories at times, but really we have to look at the merit. They're easily abused and especially from a psychological standpoint, not just a physiological standpoint, we can become dependent on them. Referencing back to the CBTI, the Cognitive Behavioral Therapy for Insomnia, we know that that type of work, cognitive behavioral therapy is much more effective and proven scientifically to last longer as a natural way to achieve restorative sleep. Research is also looking at these approved drugs and we're linking them to an increased risk for Alzheimer's disease and dementia. Experts also agree that natural sleep is best, but sleeping aids may have their place for some people for a limited length of time. The reality is a treatment plan needs to be in place. It's very similar to my practice when somebody's put on an anti-anxiety drug or an antidepressant medication. You know, you really need to be in treatment. You need to look at the holistic picture, right? You just don't rely on the pill. You actually have to start working on why am I anxious or what's going on to make me depressed, which is where we engage in therapy. What about over-the-counter sleep aids like Benadryl, Unisom, or Zequel? Right, the antihistamines. You know, I'm actually, you know, sticking my foot in my mouth right now because I actually used to recommend children's Benadryl to clients at one point. Because it's in a liquid dose, you can actually sort of titrate how much you want to use and when you use it, but not anymore. Mainly, they have an ingredient which is diphenhydramine, aka that's Benadryl. And then we have another antihistamine, which is doxylamine, which is essentially Unisom or the ingredient in NyQuil. So, you know, back in the day, I had a lot of students taking NyQuil when they couldn't sleep. But basically, you don't need all the acetaminophen and the cough suppressant. You really just want the antihistamine, which is drying everything up. It just happens to be that the side effect is sleep, right? You get a little sleepy when you take any kind of an antihistamine. And of course, these, these folks got very clever because then NyQuil came out with ZQuil, just looking at, you know, that very medication, the antihistamine, and then paradoxically, something like Benadryl or, you know, any of the other medications came out with a pain medication. So it's all repackaged. That's really interesting. Is this where you also see Tylenol PM and Advil PM? Exactly, and again, Unisom, which is a sleep aid, they even have Unisom for pain. It's basically your acetaminophen or Tylenol and you add the antihistamine, or it's the ibuprofen or the NSAID class of drugs like Advil plus the antihistamine. Not to say in short term use, these can't be very effective, but 
really the cons are that you will have a little bit of a withdrawal effect, not as much as the higher class of drugs, but we just want to be really careful because their long-term use has really not been studied. So I do know that some recent research have, again, those correlations with dementia. What about what I hear about benzos, like Ativan or Valium? Yeah, that goes back to my McLean and clinic days in Boston. Benzodiazepines are probably the most widely used prescription drug aid, like Valium, Xanax, Clonopin, and Ativan. They're really the heavy hitters. Each have their own effective and use. Um, so I will have a brief reply in this because again, short-term use, it can be very helpful. But the withdrawal symptoms and the side effects aren't great. Not to mention they're highly addictive and the dependence goes beyond the physical, it actually becomes emotional. So especially when somebody's trying to taper off, sometimes they actually get a rebound effect or rebound anxiety, which is higher than when you started. So I, I throw some caution, although again, they do have their, their benefits when, when needed. Are there herbs or supplements that aid in better sleep? Absolutely. And I often like to look at cognitive behavioral therapy along with herbs as a more holistic approach to sleep before we actually go down the road of prescription medications. So specifically the herb valerian or valerian root has been a natural remedy to help people sleep for a very long time. We also know lavender and chamomile like we see in the tea. Uh, one of my favorite teas is by Yogi and they have products called kava stress relief which actually not only contains the herb kava which has traditionally for a long time been used to calm the body and the mind and encourage a good night's sleep they also have one that's called calm and relaxed and again that goes back to that ayurvedic herbs and the ayurvedic practices which actually start to uplift your uh, subconscious and support awareness we also have a brand called Allegro that I give out in my office. One of my favorites is called Peaceful Slumber. Again, you have the chamomile, but they also add elderflower, oat straw, and again, the, the lavender. I teach this with my patients where we mindfully sip a cup of tea together. And like we said the last time, you get the five senses engaged and you eventually do get in that wonderful parasympathetic nervous system. There's also our good old fashioned celestial seasonings, sleepy time tea. And they actually even came out with extra sleepy time tea where they add that herb valerian like we talked about. And I'm not kidding you. I am literally horizontal on the couch. I don't even finish it uh, and I'm off to sleep. So I have to be careful when I have that. Um, so I actually make it to my bed. And then just lastly, a new product that just came on the market is called Calm. And it's by a company called Natural Vitality. And actually what it is, is a gummy, but they also have powdered drinks, low in sugar, but the main ingredient is magnesium. And the latest studies that we see is that Magnesium can be used as a relaxing supplement. Magnesium is the fourth most abundant mineral in our body and is really essential for our optimal health. And it's involved in over 300 cellular processes in the body and supports cardiovascular health. So when we're stressed, we actually deplete magnesium, whether that's a physical stress or an emotional stress. So it's actually really important to add that back in. 
And again, we can breathe a sense of calm and get back to that restorative sleep. You know, there are few findings in the Journal of Psychopharmacology that also looks at vitamin C when folks were dosed with it. But again, you know, we could just look at having a handful of blueberries as a snack for right now. But more of that on our next episode, which is food equals mood. That's right. And you mentioned lavender in our last episode. When I think of sleep and natural remedies, the first thing that comes to my mind is lavender. I personally like drinking Amphora Sleep Support Tea, and it tastes great, and the tea bags are pyramid-shaped, which is kind of cool. And since lavender is so prominent in sleep products, is there any scientific evidence supporting the benefits of lavender? Yes, actually there are, um, and more and more research is coming out each day that validates that lavender, which has been used for medicinal purposes as far back as ancient Egypt and Rome, and more recently published in the International Journal of Psychiatry and Clinical Practice, that they did trials whereby patients taking 80 milligram capsules of lavender essential oil as a supplement alleviated feelings of anxiety, depression, and insomnia. But right now, I just recommend adding either lavender oil to a bath, drinking the teas that we mentioned before, um, or even in my practice, I give out lavender eye pillows. And again, when we're doing a guided meditation and some deep breathing, you're really off to a good night's sleep. Also, going back to Ayurvedic principles, Aveda, one of my favorite natural organic stores, has a lavender rollerball that, again, I teach meditation and mindfulness exercises with my clients. And what we will do is rub it on our neck, our wrists, and sometimes our chest. And again, when we do some deep breathing and then a guided meditation, And again, number one memory recall is olfactory, right? So when we actually inhale that beautiful sense of lavender, we get back into the parasympathetic nervous system of rest and restore and rest and relax. That's great to hear that lavender is backed by science. I'll have to try the Aveda rollerball in the future. In addition to natural remedies and herbs, are there any tips or techniques on how to fall asleep? Sure. Well, you know what? We've all been there, right? We cannot sleep when we feel stress. And when we're stressed, we can't sleep, right? So here are some exercises. First one would be deep breathing. So again, we mentioned this in our last episode. Looking at breathing into your nose is important because your turbinates or nostrils are aimed straight down at your diaphragm. And when the diaphragm expands, which is like a parachute, it trips the vagus nerve, which puts us in the parasympathetic nervous system. So that's the one thing that I could recommend to everybody is do some deep breathing right before bed. And then the other thing I like to add in, as silly as this sounds, is counting to 100, like 1, 1,000, 2, 1,000, 3, 1,000, all the way up to 100, Believe it or not, it's much more difficult than you realize. You will lose track of your numbers, but you gently, loving kindness, go back to where you think you left off, or you can just start over. Then you count backwards from 100 to one. Then if you're still not asleep, I ask clients to do it by twos. 
And it's very hard to do. Two, 1,000, four, 1,000, six, 1,000, eight, 1,000, and then try going backwards from 100. Again, the idea here is that we're keeping the brain focused and not wandering off. And truly, that's what meditation and mindfulness is, is constantly just coming back to center, coming back to the breath, coming back to the present, not running off with what do I have to do tomorrow or downloading the events of the day or, you know, going off in those habit, you know, holes and and perseveration and rumination. The other thing is when we're looking at our phone, which, you know, I have fallen prey to myself, you all of a sudden look, it's four o'clock in the morning. Now I only have two hours of sleep and then it's 4.30 in the morning. Now I only have an hour of sleep. So we really want to be mindful to not look at the clock, okay? And the really great thing, believe it or not, which again is supported by scientific evidence, is that even just getting into a restful state, like I mentioned, is really, really important. Even if we're not sleeping, remember what's happening when we're in just a restful state, okay? we know that our bones are rebuilding, our immune system is getting stronger, our skin is revitalizing, our muscles are recovering from the day. So just resting and breathing can be helpful. And believe it or not, most of the time, invariably, you will drift off to sleep anyway. And as I will echo my my friend at Mass General Benson Henry Institute, Peg Bain says, your brain is always listening. So even when you're thinking, you are startling and waking yourself up. So we really want to just be in that mindful, meditative state. I've definitely fallen victim to the alarm clock down myself, but I also heard that yoga and stretching can help. Yeah, that's again, getting back to that idea of the parasympathetic nervous system of rest and restore. So when we do stretching or like some light yoga right before bed, we're releasing lactic acid as we're, you know, elongating the muscles. We're also calming the mind and body. And, you know, one of the famous phrase I never forgot is they say, relax the body and the mind will follow. And there's a number of techniques that can actually start to shift some of these neural patterns and improve both your sleep and overall wellness like the mindfulness and meditation we talked about and the deep breathing. I will always refer to Dr. Andrew Weil for this. He has a wonderful YouTube video. It's just about two minutes long and he actually demonstrates his very famous four, seven, eight breath. And that again is that diaphragmatic breathing. We also wanna look at using our breath to release tension. And how we do that is doing a body scan from head to toe. So you're lying in bed, and you take a couple of deep breaths, or maybe do a four, seven, eight breath, and then you start to sort of scan your body to see where am I holding tension? Am I clenching my jaw? Are my shoulders feeling tense? And you progressively gently tense and release each major muscle group. You know, carefully, you know, maybe furrow your brow, look if the tension is in your temples, even doing like a little light massage on each of the areas, on your jaw, on your neck, on your shoulders, all the way down the major muscle groups into the toes and then back up to the head again, which is a wonderful relaxation technique. 
That's so interesting. The applications of the force of neat breaths could go on forever. I know I use it personally in public speaking, but I'll also try it when falling asleep. Are there any additional ways to get yourself into that sleep mindset? Yes, sure. So let's revisit the idea of the tea ritual. So when my son was born, he actually never slept. Um, and it really got to the point where it was detrimental to my health because I wasn't really equipped to be a great mom when I too was not getting adequate sleep. And I found myself over at Children's Hospital with the famous Dr. Ferber. So anybody that's a parent knows Dr. Ferber and he actually created a routine for us. And what he did was looking at what we need to do to create that sanctuary. And I'm hoping that might be one of our next episodes in the future is really talking about, you know, our <laughs> home used to be our sanctuary, but I don't think any of us expected to be spending this much time at home. So we're all looking at new rituals, but rituals are important because they actually create a lot of safety for the brain. And when the brain feels safe, we are in the parasympathetic nervous system of rest and restore and rest and relax. When we're feeling unsafe, we're in fight or flight, right? So when we can create any kind of a ritual, for example, dimming the lights, brushing your teeth, having you know a cool environment, any ritual that you do, try to do it every single night. I know here for us in Coolidge Corner, Brookline, our Coolidge Corner School's principal Jennifer Fuller is actually doing a Zoom meeting bedtime story each night at 7.30. I mean, amazing dedication to our community. She is creating safety and security and routine. And she pioneered this immediately upon our school closings. And it has been an integral part of our new routine. Echoing our last episode, again, the brain loves familiarity. It creates that sense of security. And again, you know, every night you do it starts to create a new habit and a new routine. And eventually with consistency, that will be your new norm. Your brain is always looking to habituate something so that it can free itself up for more immediate tasks. So again, brushing your teeth, applying hand lotion, a mindfulness or meditation activity, like the breathing, stretching, yoga, etc will all aid in a better night's sleep that's really interesting colleen especially tying in the importance of routine from our last episode into sleep further on that subject are there also any techniques to shift your neural patterns and improve both your sleep and overall wellness yes the use of visualization to shift your focus and clear your mind is really important and again our brain is really just doing what we taught it to do so instead of going down that rabbit's hole of rumination, perseveration, or catastrophizing, we need to redirect our brain to come back to center. Again, the breathing gets us into the parasympathetic nervous system of where it's safe. What we said last week is when the brain is stranger danger, I'm anxious, I'm not feeling well, I don't feel good, make it better. Whatever we've given it to make it better, it will do. Like I said before, it's like bubbles on the bottom of the pan before they've risen to the surface. And if we know we can just click through one more look on Instagram, find one more article, go on CNN, whatever it is, 
We know that it's temporarily giving us a false sense of hope or security. But when we start to teach the brain that relaxing and breathing and getting in the parasympathetic nervous system is actually more satisfying, the brain will eventually go to what it wants, which is a better life. And since it's always looking for a better life, like I say in my book, Prescription for Change, let's give it one. And in my book, one is an acronym and it stands for observing our thoughts, negating those thoughts, and then echoing that new mindset. Again, that's founded in cognitive behavioral therapy, and it is essential for rewiring the brain, which is why I'm so excited to be certified in the CBT for insomnia. So I'll, I'll give you an update on that later. That's great that you're seeking out the training in CBT insomnia. So on that note, how important is it to have a sleep schedule? Well, again, we have to look at our brains crave familiarity. And it is the foundation of my practice at Restore Body Balance, combining the psychology, biology, and the neurology of the body, right? We also have to look at our circadian rhythms, right? We all do better, like you mentioned, taking a red eye. We, we all get thrown off when our sleep gets off kilter. So looking at the brain wanting to do something that feels good, and we know it feels good. And if it feels good, we will naturally want to go toward that. So a dark room, a cool temperature, don't eat late at night. Again, remember rest and digest. And the calming effects of tea, the lavender. If you're reading, make sure you're not having a bright light. No bright bulbs. And I know they sell glasses, which some of my clients have had a lot of success with, which block out that blue light from TV and our devices. Some people even like white noise. I know for myself, I run a fan at night, but they also sell noise canceling earbuds. And again, those eye masks. What I really get excited about are the apps today. My favorite is Calm. Uh, it actually has wonderful bedtime stories and mini meditations and mindfulness exercises and breathing. There's also one called Breathe as well. There's something called Meditations um, instead of Meditations. Uh, I thought that was clever. There's one called Sleep Easily. And then most of us probably know about Headspace and Waking Up with Sam Harris, which I adore and even ones that say white noise, pink noise, and purple noise. And a lot of these are free, and a lot of them are doing free subscriptions, you know, given our current climate. That's really interesting. I know with the current situation, some of those apps are even offering extended free trials up to 90 days to contribute to better mental health during this stay-at-home time period. And Apple has night shift and sleep schedule features that well, Night Shift automatically eliminates the blue light from your phone at a certain time at night, depending on your sleep schedule. And then you can even track your sleep schedule in the health app. And going back to our schedules, are there really such things as morning larks or night owls? <laughs> yeah, actually, there was an article in Psychology Today, uh, October 2019, that cites a study that was published in 
personality and individual differences, where they discovered there may even be a third and fourth category. And they call them nappers and afternoon people. And they tracked patients at their peak wakefulness. And they called the afternoon people and the nappers uh, double peakers. Uh, so it's interesting. It's also sort of like that concept of breakfast, right? So yes, they do say breakfast is the number one important meal of the day, but breakfast, in fact, is when you break your fast, right? So it doesn't matter when you're eating, it's when you're breaking your fast. So the same holds true in terms of research supporting the concept of looking when you are starting your day and when you're going to sleep. So whether you're a morning lark, a night owl, a napper or an afternoon person. The idea is that you're really just looking at an evolving complex process when we're studying sleep. That's really interesting. I know personally, I'm a night owl. Even if I have to get up at 6 a.m., I find myself having way more energy and feeling more motivated at night. Yeah, and I used to be a night owl myself. And again, going back to the brain and the body, I'm more of a morning person now, and that shifts. Because my needs have shifted, your body will automatically switch gears, right? So now I have a family to take care of, whereas before I didn't. And so when I surrender to my exhaustion, I'm also surrendering my mind, right? And that goes back to the brain flushing out what we need to flush out emotionally and physically. So we're leading our sensory cues, those five senses we talked about, and also, that's really when a lot starts happening in the body when we go to sleep. Scientists are now just figuring that our brain is actually working when we sleep. What exactly happens when our minds start working? Well, scientists are putting that together now, but the consensus is getting more and altogether better quality sleep each night can improve our concentration, memory, even our fat burning systems. Hello, cortisol, like I talk about all the time. Not to mention how we antidote stress and anxiety and we ward off things like depression. And even the newer studies talked about warding off developing type two diabetes. At least the latest research now also looks to cutting our risk for Alzheimer's disease, cancer and osteoporosis. So in our fast-paced world, how can we actually get more sleep? Well, in our very busy lives, you're right, our society still thinks that we can cheat ourselves. One more email, one more text, glance through Instagram, or do that one more work-related task. I completely agree. Even with emerging media platforms like TikTok, the short videos on TikTok make it easy to actually spend even more time. I know at times even I have fallen victim to sacrificing hours of sleep for TikTok and not even noticing. That is a great example, Nico. And again, unfortunately, to you know, go back to our current climate of COVID-19, everything is changing and we're all keyed up and looking for that distraction. But again, that's just a false sense of security and going down the rabbit's hole and looking at what is trying to bring us relief is actually just bringing us more anxiety. We really just need to reset and get back to our body's natural sleep-wake cycle, which is, again, if you want another resource, that's that cbtforinsomnia.com. And, you know, the reason I mention Dr. Greg Jacobs again is that 
His research is all supported and practiced at Harvard Medical School. And his research also published in the Archives of Internal Medicine. And one of his studies actually proved his TBTI program to be more effective than Ambient. And as he says on his website, if you start looking at doing a cognitive behavioral therapy for sleep, specifically with his work, 70 to 80% of his patients found it more effective than sleeping pills and improved the rates of depression compared to an antidepressant medication and also looked at other comorbidities, including pain, fibromyalgia, substance abuse, PTSD, and menopausal hot flashes. So when you're looking at a more natural way than using a sedative hypnotic that are associated, like we talked about, with significant side effects, especially these days, the dangers and all of those, we have an elevated mortality risk that is resulting in the new FDA black box warnings about the potential side effects of some of these, you know, Ambien's, Onesta's, Sonata's, again, perfectly fine when used in short-term treatment and monitored by your doctor. But we now have a way, just I like to practice in, you know, restore body balance. We have a way of healing ourselves naturally. We do. And thank you, Colleen. You taught us not only why sleep is important, but what it does to our bodies and what happens during sleep. And you left us with some tools to help us get more sleep. And in fact, we learned it is as important as proper diet and exercise. Again, we see how your research, Use Your Lifestyle as Medicine, is part of Prescription for Change. If you would like to hear more from us at Restore Body Balance, click the subscribe button and tune into our next podcast, which will be discussing how food impacts our mood. Visit us on the web at www.restorebodybalance.com to learn more about our programs and buy the book on change.